0: My biggest disgruntled thing with social media is we have keyboard warriors. You look at Facebook, someone posts a comment and then you end up in a war, 50 comments down because you can't hear tone. But if you go into a coffee shop, go into a restaurant, you never see people yelling at each other. (laughs) You see people sitting down calmly chatting, even if they're a difference of opinion, whether they're having a business meeting, it's introductory, they're getting to know each other, they're long life friends or they're resolving conflict. People are having normal you know, sincere, civil interactions. That has been missing on social because we've removed voice.
1: Welcome to Wave Social Podcast powered by Arcade Studios. My name's Mike. I'm here with my co host Mitzi, and we've curated a show for digital marketers, advertisers, and modern entrepreneurs who want to stop chasing the tide and start making waves online.
2: Each episode, we'll sit down with the tastemakers and strategic minds behind some of the most engaged communities and up and coming brands. We'll pull back the curtain on their strategies and experiences to uncover the methodology behind their seismic impact. Thanks for joining us. Let's dive in.
1: All right. Welcome back to episode 11 of season three. We finished strong. Here we are.
2: High That's five. a high five.
1: Yeah, this was a fun one. Before we get into who our guest is and some of the exciting stuff you have to look forward to in the dialogue, got to talk about merch a little bit. Mm -hmm. It's been fun.
2: Yeah, this is our first time trying to do merch. We've gotten some great response from people. Some people love it. Some people haven't said anything. So
1: (laughs) Yeah, so we decided, as you know, if you've been listening, to do merch instead of any sponsored ads this Mm -hmm. season. Jury's out on what we're going to do for season four. If you have Input or a perspective on that? Feel free to hit us in our DMs. But it could go either way at this mm-hmm. point. We got some inquiries from some brands for some potential sponsorships, so it could go back that direction if the fits right. But we had a lot of fun with merch, so yeah, we only have a couple candles left, right?
2: Yeah, we only have like two candles left, Man, those and it's a so custom good. scent. We, we, we just may just keep never. Those for us. Yeah, I mean, I'm game. But if you want to buy them, <laughs> I'd be game for that too. <laughs>
1: There's a few sweaters left. Yeah, I think mostly mediums. But know. yeah, head to com slash merch. Get your hands on it while it's there. And in some way, somehow we'll be bringing something fresh for season four. It's going to be fun.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And today in the episode, we have Scott Backen. He is the founder of Socality, which is an online community for creatives. And funny story, Mike and I actually met through a Socality conference. So we got that to kind of relive that little romance. Well, we went to two
1: Socality conferences. And the first one, I led a workshop (laughs) on leadership. And I was like,
2: (laughs) I don't need to go to that.
1: (laughs) She's like, I don't want to be a leader. I
2: just want to get
1: my photo taken.
2: (laughs) Actually, I just wanted, I was there for the content.
1: Yeah. Well, you skipped the workshop. I skipped the photo session time.
2: That's right. So we actually didn't cross paths that first conference. We were both there didn't talk to each other, didn't see each other. But the second conference in Portland is where we actually met.
1: We don't need to get into the romantic details. But if you want all that goodness, then head back all the way to season one, episode zero, and we lay it all out for you. Mm -hmm. Scott's also a commercial photographer. He's worked with brands like GMC. He's an ambassador right now for Canon. Canon. So he's got it pop in outside of Socality as well. He's a master when it comes to the camera. Mm -hmm. And yeah, there's some fun, like various topics. It wasn't just about photography.
2: It was cool to talk about how he's pivoted his strategy with, not being able to travel like he is a big travel influencer he would go on lots of trips work with lots of travel brands but obviously due to covid we've all been staying put so Mm -hmm. it was interesting to hear how he pivoted in that way and just tried to make the most of his own backyard so that was pretty cool i'm always just curious and interested to see how people have you know pivoted because of covid and have Grown and it sounds like he has.
1: Yeah. And I think there's a lot of value too in some of the earlier conversation for businesses or startups or brands that are just kind of getting their feet under them Mm -hmm. about how he started and really like pitching that vision. And he started with volunteers before he ever had any paid staff or Mm -hmm. things like that. So, yeah, dive into the dialogue. I think there'll be a lot of good inspiration, but also those classic practical takeaways that we love,
2: which I love. Love the practical stuff. Yes. My favorite.
1: Let us take it all away. (laughs) Do you want to read a review?
2: Yeah, let's do it. Okay, this one is from Sarah Dorward. The review says, I'm not in marketing or content creation, but I really enjoy listening to this pod. Mike and Mitzi bring on interesting guests and the content doesn't feel too granular for someone who is outside of the marketing industry. Their insights and those of their guests are thought-provoking and inspiring and give me lots to think about regarding my engagement with brands and products online. Season 3 has had great socio-cultural conversations, and I've listened to the episode with Leah and Mel a few times. Thanks for the friendly vibes and informative content, Smiley Face.
1: Aw, thanks, Sarah. That's
2: so nice. That's a good one. Yeah, that's a great one.
1: I think it's true. We really try to take things head on this season, and we do so again with this episode to wrap things up. But without further ado, we could probably just get into it.
2: Let's do it. All right, Scott, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Welcome to the show.
0: Thanks for having me.
2: So you want to dive into so many things on this episode. First of all, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Give us the Coles notes about Scott Backen.
0: Yeah, sure. So I live in Calgary, Canada, married, been married for 17 years since 2002. I have two kids, and started a community called Socality, a creative community that brings people together and empowers creators. And I'm also a photographer, commercial photographer, and that's pretty much very Cole's notes of
1: <laughs> short and sweet. Very, very Cole's notes. We know you started Socality, and we've talked about this before, but we may as well let everyone know that that's actually where Mitzi and I met. Right. So, in a way, thank you for playing matchmaker. You're
0: welcome. (laughs) Like I just said, we bring people
1: together. (laughs) You really do. So for everyone who doesn't know what Socality is and how it started, and especially for the single people that want to find their wife or husband, (laughs) can you walk us through that and the very
0: first ideas that you had around it? Sure. So, I mean, what it is today is developed and grown, obviously, but it really stemmed from a couple of things in me is, you know, from Calgary, Canada, my wife and I, moved to Sydney, Australia, and then we were there for almost six years. You know, think about the difference of countries from snow to beautiful beaches and warm sunny days and a strong creative community, actually. And then coming back to Calgary, we wanted to start a family. So it made sense to come home. But when you come back from being away so long, the first thing that's missing is community. So just reestablish yourself back somewhere. You need to identify a community of people. And before social media, when you connected with people, you know, predominantly you connect people around you. So you'd get to know people in your area, local, you know, communities or whatever. And you'd build a friend group. I was struggling to reconnect here just because of the big changes in weather. And obviously I was missing my very strong creative community back in Australia. But I'd also noticed a new way to connect in trying to land here mentally and emotionally. I started going out and taking photos and just capturing my surroundings. And, you know, a couple of things had changed. Pre-social, when you left somewhere, you left somewhere. And it was out of sight, out of mind. But we had Facebook. And so I was still seeing my friends and my community and them at the beach. And here I was, you know, knee deep in snow. And when you're trying to arrive somewhere mentally and then that image is constantly in front of you, it's very difficult. And then just on the cusp of that was Instagram. So I was out taking photos on my iPhone 4. And capturing my surroundings and not really wanting to be here. But a couple of things were happening at the same time. I was starting to develop this online community. People were finding me and liking my images and being like, wow, where you live is so beautiful. And I was like, wow, people really think this place is something special. <laughs> and I mean, it is special. But when you're not looking through that lens, you're looking through a different lens. It's hard to see that. And then the other thing that was happening is I was connecting with all these people in a non-traditional way. I was finding community, but they weren't physically with me. And so that all led me over the couple of months as my social platform began to grow. And I was finding these like-minded people and I was enjoying their work and seeing where they were from, Nashville and New York and Germany, all these cool spaces. I was like, wow, all these people, I'm building this like daily connection with people where we're commenting on each other's photos. It's almost like you're becoming friends. Imagine if they came here and experienced this plays with me. And so the concept of SoCalU was really born out of my own personal desire to find a community group. And when I came up with the concept of connecting online, bringing people together in person, you know, had to think about what this would be. And I thought well, it would be a website because that's a great way for people to connect. It'll be a social platform and it'll be events and experiences because I like the idea of people traveling. I like the idea of someone going, oh, wow, I've never been to that land or that place. And I wanted to discover places myself because I was seeing it How cool if we did this together? And then we held these events in different places. And so it was really about coming together. And so I launched Socality with the idea of bringing people together. And it just worked. It worked. We launched in January 2014. And right away, we had lots of people on the social account, 75 countries on the database, day one. And basically just went from an idea and a concept to a real movement, a real community. And then it was all about how are we going to make this thing work? But in the early days, it was a very bootstrapped, and we held our very first event in Calgary, Canada. It made sense because I was here and took people to these places that they said were so beautiful. And we got, you know, yellow school buses <laughs> and put everybody on buses and drove to Lake Louise and drove to Banff and showed them the spot. And there we were, 300 people from around the world. We had people from Finland and New Zealand and over 22 states in America came. There was one group that drove, I think, 36 hours you know, the carpool. And they came up and Mike, you were at that first one. I don't think Mitzi, I don't know if you were there, but I actually were, you there? Was. were you there, but it's funny enough because you guys didn't connect until the Portland one.
2: I know. It's funny because I feel like I saw the roster of speakers and I think Mike actually yes, spoke at one of the workshops yeah. that I skipped.
0: So he caught your eye at the first one?
2: <laughs> no, 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 no. It wasn't like that, but I was wow. there.
0: That's so cool. I didn't know you were at the first one. That's awesome. Yeah, and it's so funny because I remember when we did it in Portland, we got school buses again. And we had, just, we had come from Cannon Beach. Or you remember that. There was that crazy rainstorm. It was just pouring rain. And where I was seated on my yellow bus, <laughs> there was like a leak in the bus. And literally for two hours, I was so wet. And for two hours, it just dripped on me. <laughs> and I was like, all I want to do is go back to the hotel and just have a one-hour hot shower. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I feel like it was so cold. Both experiences were so cold.
0: Yeah, one was snow and the other one was just torrential rain. So (laughs) So it's funny going down memory lane, but that's kind of the origin story, you know, and obviously we have lots of stories like that, but that's where it was birthed from. And so the initial heartbeat of it was bringing people together. So
1: you mentioned that a few times, like bringing people together. That's how it started. What do you say when it first launched and even for that first event? that it was mostly people that you knew already? Or did you find that it spread quickly to a bunch of other like kind of peripheral connections of people that ended up being new community altogether?
0: Oh, it spread fast. And it was, here's the thing. One guy, his name is Paul, Technopole on Instagram. He and I, he had helped me initially in the early days and he still helps out, but he had helped me with connecting me to the right people. Because before we launched, I'd spent about six to seven months just connecting with people. But he had been helping me online, we'd be meeting on, I don't even think FaceTime was a thing, actually, I think we were Skyping, to be honest. And he had helped me build out the website and had done some things. I had never physically met him until that event, you know, we had only probably talked on the phone and Skype for probably eight months. And he helped very, very, um, you know, significantly with the development of the website and so i had never met him and there was another person that came actually everybody that i had been talking to i'd never physically met until they came to calgary so i had never met those people so i met them and then there was a whole bunch of new people that had come with you know what is this i want to be a part of it how can we help type thing and still to this day people keep every day my inbox is filled with somebody with a potential connection and so ever since then my life has completely changed when it comes to connection and network and new people from different spheres. So it's been quite exciting, actually.
2: So cool. Yeah, I want to talk to you about how you launched because that's what initially caught my eye. I think you had a coordinated Mm -hmm. effort of everyone posting at the same time. And if you just could walk us through what you Mm -hmm. did. And then also as a secondary question, tell us what you would do now. I mean, obviously at the time, 2014, Instagram was still a new emerging platform. People were still trying to figure out how best to use it. And it was definitely a place for photographers. And now it seems, I mean, it's changed so much. So how did you kick off Socality and get that buy-in from the community and get people excited about your brand that you were building? And what would you do differently? Differently, if you were launching SoCality today?
0: Yes, big load of questions. So, first of all, a couple of things. So, like I said, it, it launched in 2014 in January, but I probably started the conversation about it in probably maybe May ish of, I can't really remember to be honest, of 2013. It was quite a few months before. And there was no name, there was no name at all. It was just an idea. Bringing people together, and up until this point, Instagram, like you said, was fairly new. It was only about three or four years old. I was an early adopter on the platform. I only had nine thousand followers (laughs) at the time, but even then, that was lots. I remember hanging with someone. They're like, "Whoa, you have nine thousand followers!" It was still so early because, man, we were only thinking like Facebook, right? Facebook friends, you know, Facebook likes. Oh, that photo gets you know thirteen people liked your photo type thing on Facebook. So we were thinking that way. We were not thinking in terms of an influencer. And so Instagram kind of brought that whole new wave of influence. But what was happening, there was a lot of, you know, you had your profile, you had your profile, there was a lot of everyone had their own profile. But the very idea of Socality was a collective. And I don't know this for sure, but I'm pretty confident. We were pretty much the first community or collective on Instagram. So it was just the early adopter and being there first. So what I did is, in sharing these ideas, you know, I'd connected, I mentioned Techno Paul, he said, you need to talk to this person. And you need to talk to this person. So I'd get on a Skype with this person chat to them about the idea for about literally like an hour. And they would be like, yeah, that sounds cool. Sign me up. Here's my email. And they put me on another person. And so basically for six or seven months, because I came up with the name of Socality, I can't remember when, but it was months after. All I did for months literally was talk to people, call people, turn on Bluetooth and just drive in my car and talk to people. We just had a newborn baby. And so I was like, you know, trying to do as much out of the house as possible. And so, you know, driving a lot of like sitting in parking lots, <laughs> talking to people, jumping on Skype, and just sharing vision, no name, just sharing name, this is my idea. It's gonna be a website, it's gonna be events, it's gonna be a gathering, it's all about bringing people together. And the idea, a real strong thing, and this is how I knew I was early adopter, is I was talking about collective reach, you know, talking about the power of the collective platform of us all saying the same thing. And I know it was early adopter because when I was pitching to brands or to try and sponsor our event, they had no clue what I was talking about. They had no clue about collective reach. They had no clue about, you know, that I was literally explaining these things. Now you have people in departments that are in charge of social influencer campaigns and, you know, and building brand ambassadors that did not exist. And so that's how I knew I was so early and that, you know, it's a good or bad problem to have because you're building a template for something that doesn't exist. But at the same time, you're so early that, you know, you're also setting a trend. So it's kind of like a twofold thing. So for the whole launch strategy was just meet people, share vision, meet people, share vision. I built a database of probably over 300 people just through MailChimp and I would send periodic emails, you know, hey, everyone, just so great catching up here is whatever. When I got the name of Socality, I went and like put all the accounts on private. And then I basically started to share how we were going to launch this. You know, I put a date on it, January 19th. So I remember January 4th, I sent an email to everybody and said, on January 19th, the two weeks from now, we're all going to post on Instagram, I am at Socality, like the at sign, meaning we're going to drive people to the account and launch the name. And so nothing was live at the time. And so we had built that database, shared the vision. Basically, January 4th, we started dripping just through the team. I would built some, you know, we had like a guy named Brenton, Dirk, Tim, all these people. We started using the hashtag. I think it was just hashtag Socality. I can't remember if it was hashtag I am Socality. I think it was just Sociality. Anyway, what it did from January 4th to January 19th is it caused a lot of intrigue. Because a lot of big people started using this hashtag and people were like, what is that? And then January 19th came and we were going to launch and I'd sent an email. Okay, it's launch day, everybody. Remember, I think I'd send three emails up until that. And we're going to post starting at 12 o'clock, post whenever you want, you know, type thing. And I literally woke up that morning and was going to send an email and tell everybody to just Forget it. It's a dumb idea. Let's not do this. It's stupid (laughs) type thing. And something inside me said, No, you've come this far. You've had this many conversations. You've talked this long. You've got to do it. So, I mean, obviously, fear of failure, right? You know, fear of putting yourself out there. Anyway, January 19th, 2014, I post my photo. I am at Socality. Terrible photo. It's still on my feed if you scroll back. Anyway, that day, literally, I think over 10,000 people posted I Am at Locality. Even people I'd never met, people that were off the database, people were like, what is this? The account just grew. Like The followers were coming through fast and furious. And the um, database grew, like I said earlier. So a couple of things I did right, I think, is one, lead time. Giving yourself lots of lead time, I think, is super important. You know, when people come up with an idea now, and they're like, I'm going to launch next month. Give yourself the space and time to figure out some things, to put together a plan, communicate properly, and to lead people into a launch, right? I think one thing that worked really well was giving that space for people to go, okay, we're posting. Because then they forget, okay, we're posting. Oh yeah, we're posting. What are we, po- okay, we're posting. You know, if Repetition helps people. So I think a couple of things I did, right, was definitely sharing vision, connecting with people, connecting with as many people as I could, building a database, and then giving the proper time to launch. That all was good. I think what I did wrong And it's just, you don't know what you don't know was I didn't have the foresight to see what if it did work, (laughs) you know what I mean? And so I wasn't prepared with the proper team. We had no money. Most people have a brand or a product that they're going to launch and they've got a marketing plan. They've got money to put behind it and they've got money on the line. So they think, well, now we're going to go into sale mode. What are we going to do? And they probably have a team and everything lined up. We had nothing. I was in my pajamas when we launched. (laughs) It was like me and Paul, like talking on text, you know, and a couple other people. And so when it worked, it worked so well that I wasn't prepared for what was coming my way. And that literally turned my life into emergency action mode. And we survived it. But literally, the first five months was just trying to figure this beast out. People were trying to figure out what is SoCality. They were Googling it. I was getting emails, I was getting requests for interviews. And I'm like, I literally can't explain this. Like, you know, we don't have a board, we don't have any revenue, we don't have any money. And then a lot of sponsors were coming. We want to do this. We want to do that. But I'm like, I don't know how you fit into this. And I don't want to just diminish what we're about by taking on too much too quick. And so I would say going back, that would probably be my biggest mistake. And I don't know if I could have fixed it. But my encouragement to anybody that is launching something is think about the pre-launch and think about the post-launch. Like, what's your plan once you launch? Who's on your team? What are they doing? And how are you going to take it forward? And unfortunately, we were just in scramble mode. We survived. but <laughs> That's where I was. So That's really cool to hear that in more
1: detail, Scott. We just chatted on Clubhouse like a week or two ago, and we talked about some of this. But mm-hmm. I think one thing that has always stuck out to me was how you're so good at communicating vision. And I think that was a huge part of why that one succeeded so well, because of the time and the conversation that you invested in all of these connections and those mm-hmm. relationships beforehand. I know you mentioned how you had so many people hitting you up being like, how can I help? How can I be involved? So you ended up really just building this thing with volunteers because like you said, you had no money. So it was all just people wanting to be part of something because it had this special appeal from being so focused on relationships. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about that? Not just getting the volunteers in the first place, but after that initial honeymoon stage of the big launch wore off, how did you keep people motivated? And how did you even articulate That post launch vision as you sort of gathered yourself and started to think about what comes next?
0: Yeah, let me just be clear. We built on volunteers for five years, and to which I was one of them. (laughs) No one got paid. And I think one of our misconceptions is that people thought I was making a lot of money. And I was like, no, this is costing me everything (laughs) this whole time. It was just a constant drip of money because we just kept believing, right? And so I was a volunteer. And so I think that was healthy because. I was literally alongside people slugging away. And so I think one key thing is when we held our first event quickly after, like we did it pretty shortly after we launched, you know, like I said, 300 people came, you saw clearly who really was in it, right? Because they drove, they flew, they came and there were instantly, I would say there became a really strong friend group of people that you just felt were alongside you, you know, like, I want to do this with you. And I grabbed onto those people. I grabbed onto those people whose hands were up and they were like, I am in this with you, Scott. And I felt like they cared for me first. I feel like that was super important. They were friends first, you know? And we just built with volunteers with that core team for as long as we could. And now with any volunteer, you only have so much bandwidth, you only have so much capacity because you don't want to wear people out. You don't ever want to be in a place where one thing that I always approached, it was like, I never wanted to do something that people didn't want to be a part of. So if someone said to me, I'm leaving Socality, you know, whatever, I didn't want them to leave because I felt like they were strong armed into anything. I wasn't going to convince people to be there or be on this. It's like, here's what we can do. Here's what I'm doing. Do we want to do this together? And they said, yes. And the moment someone said, my time is up. Awesome. Thank you so much. You're friends still. Let's keep doing life as friends. And it was never transactional. And I think that was super important when you're building volunteers is you can never be transactional. You can never be like, you do this for me. I do that for you. Now you get X, right? It's more like, you're my friend. I believe in you. Let's do this. Okay, you don't want to do this anymore. Great. I still love you. How can I support you? Because if you're friends first, then that's really what matters. And if we were truly building a community, that had to be the core value. And so... We built for five years on volunteers. And so I think how you keep people motivated is one, you keep communicating vision and you two, you keep doing awesome things and you keep celebrating wins, small and big. And we kept doing events. And if it was an event, then it was a one dayer, And if it wasn't a one dayer, it was a camp. And if it wasn't a camp, it was a video project. And if it wasn't that, we did something for Charity Water where we rallied people and we raised money to build water wells, you know, and developing nations through social. So whatever it was, if it wasn't that, then it was finding someone who needed some support and throwing our voice behind that. So just kept doing things until we figured out how we were going to function, you know, as a whole structure, to be honest. And so I'd say building volunteers is all about sharing vision, creating wins, celebrating each other. And understanding that not every volunteer is for life, you do have a window with them. And if all they can give you is a short window, then take it.
1: I really want to focus on that celebrating the wins piece. I think so many just, I'm an entrepreneur, so I get it. Like so many entrepreneurs are so focused on what's next, what's next, what's next, rather than taking the time to actually retroactively Mm -hmm. say, hey, we did a good job with that. You did a good job with that. That was such an exciting result that we accomplished. And so that's just a great reminder for our listeners to make sure, especially as you're building a team, once it's not just you anymore, how important it is to take time to celebrate and really honor the commitment and involvement of the people on your team. Mm-hmm. It's so good. So now that you do have some paid staff, I'm curious what feels most different to you between kind of like managing the momentum and And also just how engaged they are compared to when it was all just volunteers for those years.
0: now. Yeah, things always change when money is involved for yourself and for others. It just does. Money just changes things, whether you like it or not. And it was always my intention that if we could, we would pay people. And the moment we could start paying people was a really rewarding feeling, to be honest, because you want people to be able to do what they love and have resources to go enjoy their life and know that tomorrow they can come back and do some work and know that you're not taxing them on every level. But at the same time, in order to build or grow anything, you need people. You need their resources of their time and their energy and their work. You need manpower. And so money just helps that. And so for us, we had been working Decentralized, and that was a big thing that we had really worked on. Like, and we were decentralized when we started. Like, I was in Alberta, and Paul was in Texas, and this person was in California, and this person was in Wisconsin. And we were chatting remotely. And now, with COVID, I mean, everyone's doing it, but once again, early adopters, (laughs) we were doing it, but we were doing it because that was the landscape of what we were in. We were reaching people on social, which was like, you know, it's infinite. But as we scaled and we grew, the first thing we actually had to do, everyone's fighting to get away from a nine to five, is we actually had to build a nine to five and actually start to build consistency. So we went from being decentralized to one, getting an office space, two, building out structure, team roles, what's your role, how often do you work, what are your duties, who do you report to, and then building out that structure, right? And so we went from decentralized and our life is on our phone. What we do is on our phone, community and connection through social. And so that's 24 seven. So learning to shut that off and saying to your team, okay, everyone at five o'clock, laptops down, go home, shut off your phone. If we need to deal with it, we deal with it at nine tomorrow morning. And so a couple of things that have changed with us with some, now some resources to pay people is building out structure, building out staff, building out routine, building out roles, building out goals. I think it's important. If you aim for nothing, you'll hit it every time. So giving people tangible goals. Are we tracking right? Are we growing? If we're not growing, what are we doing wrong? What do we need to be doing differently? And so it's just building out now structure, right? All in all. So that's the biggest change that has come is when you get money, you just don't say, here's some money, do whatever. It's you want to grow, you want to scale, you keep growing your team and grow more roles and take on new partners and take on new opportunities which means you need more manpower so it just is all about scaling and growing so those would be some of the biggest differences that we've had
2: that's great and i think we actually mentioned that we had to talk about this on clubhouse so i want to switch gears to talk about clubhouse it's an emerging platform that you're really active on we've loved it so far i've seen that you've done a few chats too what's your favorite part about the app and what are you liking so far about clubhouse
0: yeah. So it's been fun. I've been on Clubbo since January, I think 4th. Someone sent me an invite. couple of things. I was actually thinking this the other day when I woke up. I'm like, you know what? 2010 to 2020 has all been the social media you know, movement, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, TikTok now, all these things have come in these last decade. And I was thinking, what does the next 10 years hold? We've pretty much landed on our platforms, right? We have them now. They're pretty much, you might get one or two that comes. But for the most part, we're a social media generation. This is how we interact. It's our phone book. We've arrived. And so we've kind of not necessarily hit our peak, but it is a utility that's here. So I'm thinking about what's the next 10 years going to look like? And then I see Clubhouse come and I go, as someone who, you know, considers myself to be an early adopter or, or look at trends, I look at clubhouse and go, let's look at this here. And so I step back and see what's happening. Okay, conversations are happening. What are the the level of these conversations? So I've been in clubhouses, I've hosted clubhouse, and they're all really empowering. People are adding value, but I'm looking at who's hosting these, and it's people who have had somewhat of success or built a bit of a business on social or entrepreneurs who came like yourself, you know, you start a business, you've And then you go, I'm going to invest in the next generation and give you know, some tips and tricks and some guidance. And so what I love about Clubhouse is that it's empowering. It's information-based. It's connecting people in ways that feels formal yet informal. It gives a voice because my biggest disgruntled thing with social media is we have keyboard warriors. You look at Facebook, someone posts a comment and then you end up in a war 50 comments down because you can't hear tone. But if you go into a coffee shop, go into a restaurant, you never see people yelling at each other. (laughs) You see people sitting down calmly chatting, even if they're a difference of opinion, whether they're having a business meeting, it's introductory, they're getting to know each other, they're long life friends or they're resolving conflict. People are having normal you know, sincere civil interactions that has been missing on social because we've removed voice. And I, what I love most about clubhouse, it's giving voice back to social. It's letting people listen. It's letting people digest and it's letting people contribute in a way that feels civil, and then it brings back humanity. Ah, actually, when people gather, they actually get along, even if they disagree, because that's how humans interact. (laughs) You don't have to agree, but everyone gets along, right? It's only people that don't have social skills that don't. And so I love that Clubhouse is bringing voice back, and I love that it's empowering the next generation. So I'm interested. I personally am just going to call it and say it's going to become the TikTok of 2021. It's definitely an emerging app. I'm interested to see what they're going to do with it. I'm interested to see how they're going to improve it. And yeah, I think it's here to stay.
2: Yeah, we're with you. We're really loving it too. And I I love what you said about bringing voices back because I agree, it's definitely a nice break from typing forever and especially right now during COVID where everyone's working from home and you're right, context does get lost in our written communication so it's really nice to just listen to someone and have a dialogue. So we've been spending some time on the app and we're really loving it so far. But for people who maybe are just getting into it, maybe they're not quite sure where to start, can you share some tips or tricks that you've learned along the way and any advice you can offer for someone who's wanting to be more vocal? Yeah,
0: so I mean, just on a practical note when you join a conversation, just listen put yourself on mute. <laughs> I've had some people join and they're not on mute. You know, just join in and put yourself on mute and listen in. If you have something to say, raise your hand, stay on mute, obviously. And then when the you have a chance to speak, speak up and add value and bring something of value to the conversation. If you're moderating, be a good moderator. Really go into hosting a room with a real purpose. Think about how much time do I want to spend on this room? Like, give yourself a time frame. Okay, everybody, We've got an hour together. These are the goals I want to set for this conversation. Keep reiterating those goals every 10 minutes because new people are joining. So resetting the room is super important and saying, hey, for those who just joined, we're talking about, you know, working with brands and strategies to do that. If you have something to add to that, jump in. So, you know, moderating, having a plan, setting a time frame, bringing value, helping be solution orientated. In your conversation giving people a chance to speak affirming them and keep people on topic i think those are super important things as a moderator and just value people's time like i sometimes see clubhouse and they're still going for four hours i just think oh you know it makes me not want to join a conversation so just making sure that if i'm clicking on to mike and mitzi's clubhouse i know it's going to be an hour of power it's going to be a good use of my time because set my phone out and i can listen i can contribute but you know there's a good beginning, middle and an end. So those would be my tips. And then also follow the right people, follow people that you're interested to connect with and look and follow them back on Instagram or DM them on Instagram and start a conversation because you can't really converse on the app. So find those people and, and begin a conversation off platform.
1: I really have noticed that for sure. Like the amount of trickle over, I don't know what the best term is, but the amount of value that I've seen on Instagram And new connections I've had on that platform just from being active on Clubhouse just because you can't have conversations outside Mm -hmm. of audio on the platform. So it's cool how they can kind of be linked to each other. But I love the name Hour of Power.
2: Oh, yeah, totally.
0: (laughs) Hour of Power, right? When you launch your show next week, I'll know where it came from. (laughs) (laughs) Mike admits he's Hour of Power.
2: (laughs) Totally, that's a good intro.
1: (laughs) For sure, but... We know you've been involved in some conversations (laughs) on there, even around the topic of Instagram. I think you specifically called the room, is Instagram dead? Which first off, props to you for creating a title that's a question. Mm -hmm. I think I've seen that makes a difference in how many people actually show up to these conversations. And there's just some practical tidbits like that. But I think as you spend more time Mm -hmm. on the platform Mm -hmm. and you learn. But talk to us about the topic. Like you've had some heavy hitters on there. There's been some great conversations. I've tuned into a couple of them, but I think the answer
0: is Mm -hmm. it's not. Like Instagram isn't dead, but is it? What's your take on that? Yeah. So a couple of things. First of all, when I hosted my first room, I did the topic, let's chat social (laughs) media. And like no one joined. I sat there and waited. And I was like, this is embarrassing. So I clicked out. And then I literally just said, is Instagram dead? And literally in minutes, I had like 70 people in the room. So I learned something right away because Clubhouse is meant to be an engaging platform. People want to contribute, right? So if it's just me talking at them, then it's like, "Uh." but if it's a conversation and it was a pain point, right? It's I've been on Instagram for 10 years. Most people are on Instagram. Everyone's got a frustration with the platform. So I just identified a pain point and gave it voice. Ask the question. And obviously, people, when they feel that they can relate to that, they come running. So I think it was intentional. I don't believe Instagram is dead. I definitely believe it is changing and evolving. And going back to just what we talked about, how we've seen the trickle into Clubhouse, I now view life is with a family of apps, just like you have Netflix and Disney plus and prime. We have Instagram, we have Facebook, we have clubhouse, and it's not about one or it's about having presence on all things and deciding which ones you're going to have presence on depending your industry. Obviously, if you're just a young teen and you're just having fun, you know, it's different. But if you're serious about your business or advancing, you know, certain things in your life, you want to be super intentional on those apps. And so Funny story, we were chatting with, so we did this one in Instagram dead and we ended up, we've been doing it over and over and over because a lot of people that are coming on the platform have strong Instagram presence because they've been on the app and they obviously have those frustrations. Like we've seen Instagram evolve from, you know, posting in the square where you can't even edit a caption to be now something where you're DMing, you're storing, you've got reels, you've got all this crazy stuff happening on the app, it's basically this major utility, right? But we were doing a thing called Instagram is Dead last week, and someone gave voice and said, Oh, you know, one of my biggest frustrations about Instagram is you can't get a hold of anybody. And we know this guy, they brought up this guy who was locked out of his account, just went to log in, and, you know, been on the app for years and can't access the account. He's literally sent emails, he's done this, he's now without his account. You know, he's got a pretty decent following for six weeks, it's just gone. Lo and behold, someone from Instagram was in my room <laughs> Yeah, and DM'd me right after and said, Scott, I'm going to sort that guy out. And the next day that guy had his account back. And I thought that is such an awesome thing that, you know, here we were on Clubhouse. And he said to me, look at your little Clubhouse room, making things happen. We were out chatting back and forth. But I thought what was so interesting is one, you never know who's listening. So being solution orientated, because we could have complained the whole time, but we were very positive about the app and just sharing a frustration or a struggle. And I like that someone was listening and I like that it led to re- results. So that's just a little side story for everybody. But going back to your question, which was, is Instagram dying? No, Instagram is not dying. Instagram is going to be here for a very long time. There's too much critical mass on it. It's too much of a utility. Instagram, though, is not cool. Five years ago or 10 years ago when it launched, Instagram was cool. Then it'd be bought by Facebook. It was the cool kid. The cool one in the family Facebook was the boring older brother. Instagram is now boring. It's now not cool. It's not sexy, but it's a utility. It's functional. It needs to be part of your family of apps if you are in business, but it's not sexy. It's not cool. TikTok is sexy and cool. It's the new sexy, cool kid on the block. But Instagram, it's important to be on it. It's important to be active and just be alive on it and just approach it differently than you were five years ago. So no, it's not dead, but it's important to be on it.
2: Yeah. I mean, that's so true. How have you pivoted your Instagram strategy with so many new places to be on in the app? Like there's so many things that you need to create content for. You have to do video, photography, create short form videos for Reels, go Instagram Live, all that stuff. How have you pivoted your approach to Instagram?
0: Yeah, I think, you know, when I first started posting years ago, I was posting just whatever photos on my iPhone. And then obviously, as I grew in social, I started getting more serious about it. So I went and bought a nice camera and then I started taking better pictures. And then I got more serious about my edit. And then I started producing really high quality photography. But People are consuming the app in so many different ways now before all you could do was like. And so when you were going after people's intention that way, you're obviously putting your best foot forward. And so the better the photograph, putting yourself in that space of, you know, really being good and intentional and trying to stand out above the crowd. But now people are liking less, but they're still consuming. They're scrolling but they might not be double tapping. They're watching, but you know they're not whatever. They're saving, they're screenshotting, they're, they're commenting, they're watching your story, they're watching IGTV, they're watching Reels, they're on the app, but there's so many different ways for them to consume it. So with that, I have used the tools on the platform to relax how I am presenting my content. As whereas before it was really only photos, then it was videos, but you want to do Good videos because people now align you with good photography. But now with reels, people are doing how to cook this meal. People are doing a silly dance. People are doing five tips to this. People are doing like quick, 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 quick watchable content. It's all about the quick, right? Grab them in the moment. And so with reels, I've been literally shooting that content on my iPhone. So it's like I've reverted back because I've now gained an audience. But instead of like producing, I still produce high quality photography and I still try and do. You know, decide, okay, this video needs to be highly produced. But then there's other videos like I did one of me literally brushing off the truck in the driveway with a brush, and you know, it blows up on social. And I was talking to my aunt. She goes, "Oh the, my favorite video was this." And she goes, because it was so relatable. And then what I realized in that moment was like, oh man, people that are on instagram, ninety nine percent of them are just everybody living a life doing their job. And you've, if you can speak to or create content that is relatable, it's going to transcend. Sometimes the epic photos, whereas before everybody was consuming it, like, wow, these photos. But now we've all kind of seen it. We've like seen Iceland shot, Norway shot a million different ways. We've seen it now. And so in staying above the curve and trying to pivot, I think the next step in social is just all about relatability and how do you connect with that. Person in the moment where what you're creating, everyone goes. I get that. I get brushing off the truck in minus twenty and scraping off ice. I get that. You know, I get laundry piling up. I get that, and not being afraid to identify those relatable moments in your life and sharing them on your social. And more people will connect and relate to that than more people are like, "What's this? You know, this photo is not epic. You know, we've all seen the epic photo, and I still produce that and I still share it. But I'm looking at the other channels." on TikTok and other ways I can use my voice and my character and my personality to shine through on other apps as well. Clubhouse, where I talk and give information. TikTok, where I can be emotive, but still funny. And then people come and if you can just relax your audience and get them to come on the journey with you, I think that's going to be a way people can pivot. I know we all hate that word, sorry, from 2020, but people can curb their professional career. (laughs)
1: I feel like one of the perceptions around social media is that it's so hard to turn off, you know, like if you rely Mm -hmm. on it for work or if you have a really engaged following or even if you're a creator. And that's a lot of what you do from a passion perspective, even, and it can be hard to create Mm -hmm. boundaries. But earlier in the conversation, you also mentioned how now that you have a paid team, You've built out a nine to five and you're focused on like shutting off at five and tuning back in at nine. How has that been? Do you feel like you've been successful in achieving that boundary or that separation or is it kind of a
0: constant struggle? It's a constant struggle. But I think the key thing, and I think one thing we have to acknowledge within all of us is not every moment has to be shared. Some moments are meant to be shared. Some moments are just for yourself. And with your phone on your side at all times, it's tempting. Like the other day, my daughter and I, she's only eight. We did a puzzle. It took us like four hours. And we said, let's do this puzzle together Saturday afternoon. It's so much fun doing the puzzle. But I could have like grabbed my phone and said, we're doing a puzzle. You know what I mean? I did at the very end story because we were missing one piece. (laughs) We had done this full puzzle and we were missing a piece. So I thought that was hilarious. But the process of that was all about being in the moment, was all about just connecting with my child, having this quality time. But one thing we're conditioned to do right now is we got to share everything, you know, like, oh, I got to share this, I got to share that. And I think in order for us to find balance, it's just understand some moments are for sharing, some moments are just for yourself. And if you can identify what that is, it will help bring balance. Am I there? No. Am I working towards it? Absolutely. But it's hard. It's really hard because you just think I'm going to jump on this space and just start speaking to people. Every action causes a reaction. So if I post something, people are going to comment. I'm going to get engagement. But what's funny is sometimes it's like there's people around you that you can engage with right now, but we don't stoke that fire and try and cause a reaction there. We immediately go to social and try and get it from somewhere else. So we go out for dinner. You just see everyone on their phones, it's like, but you're all together. (laughs) Why aren't you stoking that conversation? But it's just a natural thing we do naturally. It's like we're uncomfortable. It's like when you walk into a party, you know, you go get a drink at the table or eat food because you're just uncomfortable. So you go to what's most comfortable just to occupy yourself. And it's what we do in circumstances and social environments is we grab our phones because it removes uncomfortability. And we just go, as long as I'm on my phone, I have a security blanket here. But what we have to do is be intentional about digging into the people around us and trying to mine out the value that's in front of our face. And then at the same time, identifying what do I share and what do I keep for myself? And it's just a constant struggle, but we're working towards it.
2: Yeah. You have children, as you mentioned, and I imagine Mm -hmm. at some point they're going to want to create their own social platforms and have their own social presence. How do you feel about social platforms as a parent? What's your position around allowing your child to be active on social or not?
0: Yeah, it's funny because my daughter's eight and she's all about YouTube. She loves YouTube. And so, see, I didn't really grow up on YouTube is where she loves it. She's identified already key creators who have platforms that do funny things, the challenges. She loves the YouTubes. And so she wants to always like either do a challenge that she saw on YouTube, but then she'll talk about, Daddy, can I have a YouTube channel? Daddy, can we make something and post it to YouTube? So she's already thinking like that because that's her television, right? And so she's starting to think like that. And she's only really now just starting to identify what I do. Because she's like, Daddy, you have an Instagram account. And so I'll have to explain to her, yes, this is why we travel or this is why I'm away or this is why I'm taking photos because this is primarily what I do. And so she's starting to place two and two together that I'm already active on social. So she's asking, when can I get an Instagram account or when can I? And I say, when you're probably 12 or 13 or when can I start a YouTube channel? I've involved my kids, obviously, on my platform in certain things we've done with family and travel and all that. And so they've definitely been accustomed to the camera or filming. So that's something that they're, you know, Sydney was in a television commercial when she was three with us. Like we went in to pay our Rogers bill. This was years ago. And I said, look, there you are on the store, you know big poster there's sydney and she goes oh yeah it didn't phase her because we were there we took photos and there it is as kids you would be like oh my gosh i'm on a billboard <laughs> you know but for her she's like yeah you know it's crazy how they think that that's normal and i just looked at her, I'm like this is not normal this is not normal that you are the picture is on an ad like that's not normal and so but she doesn't compute with that because that's all she's known so for her naturally she wants to be involved in things and so i can definitely see her being a youtube creator. But I think the important part is not for years to come. She'll have to be under my wing for a little bit longer. And my son, he is only three. So he's just, he's on Paw Patrols. He doesn't understand yet. <laughs> Speaking
1: of getting into things at a young age, I'm assuming you got into photography at a young age, but can you rewind for us a little bit? Let us know how that process started with when you became passionate about that form of media or creating.
0: Yeah, so no, photography was not a part of my growing up. I was all about music and, but all things creative, but photography came into play for me when I came back from Australia and was taking, you know, obviously cameras have phones. And so just taking whatever pictures on my phone and then placing them on social. And then obviously as I grew in following and taking pictures, people connected me to taking better pictures. So then it was more about, wow, I got to become a better photographer. And I called myself an Instagrammer for the longest time. And then I started doing some commercial jobs, went and bought a nice camera, you know, took it up a notch, developed my skill a bit. And it took me a while to like call myself a photographer. But what really inspired me about taking photos, you know, being in a photography community, it's just everyone approaches it differently. But for me, what inspired me was every time I take a photo and every time I post it, I connect or meet with somebody new and I'm an extrovert. And so like, it was like going to a party every night, like, wow, let's, walk in the door and have a party. Every time I posted, it brought transaction, right? It brought community and connection. And so that's what invigorated me. It's was like, if I keep posting, if I keep doing this, I'm going to keep meeting more people and I'm going to keep getting go to new places and have different experiences. And for me, that was the real celebration. And yes, I love taking photos. Yes, I love capturing an amazing image at sunrise or sunset and looking at that image. But for me, it's what's beyond the photo. It's where is that photo taking me and who is it connecting me to? And that's always been my driver for me. So it kind of I fell into photography. I became a photographer by accident or I became one mainly because I had a need inside of myself.
1: That's really cool. It's even just so interesting that it wasn't that long ago that you started out.
0: No, no, it was literally like five years ago, I really started to take it serious. That's amazing.
1: We have a lot of creators listening, you know, and a lot of people that may be more amateur, but they're thinking about spending more time to get into it and even just honing their craft. Can you speak to them for a minute? Like, obviously, you've only been doing this for five years and you've established such a brand and rapport with clients. You're even a Canon ambassador, which is incredible, so can you just talk about what that looks like? And even, I think it'd be fun to just staple onto that. Like, were there any cringe photo shoots that at the time you thought, man, these are amazing. And then in hindsight, you're more like, wow, that sucked.
0: <laughs> yeah, and sometimes I'm like, oh, that was amazing. that Back like a year ago, I'm like, oh, what was that? <laughs> it's even recent, uh, <laughs> not even whatever. I think a couple things is, especially in this world of social media, It's like high school all over again, to be honest. This person's popular. This person's not. This person has a lot of followers. This person had none and this person then blew up and now they surpassed me. You know, that nerdy kid became the cool kid. It's a high school all over again. And so therefore, we have the same things that we need to deal with inside of ourselves. Comparison is huge. You see someone who's got like the ultimate setup for YouTube and they got the lights and they got the setup and they got like all the whatever and they figured it out. And you're looking at, it, they're going, how do I be where they are? And so comparison is huge in the creative world because we're always looking, I think it was that movie, Seabiscuit, where the horses are running and they put like blinders on the side of the horses because they said if the horses can't see beside them, they stay focused on the end goal. And we as creators, we need good blinders because as long as we're running and we see people in our peripheral, we're always going to compare and we lose track of our own goals. And then before you know it, we're like, I'm going to start a blog because that person has a blog. I'm going to start a YouTube because that person has YouTube. And we start running in a million directions and we forget about our goal. And I think as creators, it's just really important to identify what you do and what you do well and stay on track and be consistent towards it. And if you just stay focused on your own goal and on your own trajectory, you're going to succeed. Consistency is just, you know, success is all about consistency. Just doing it long enough, getting good, developing the right relationships and not worrying about being where somebody else is. And so not comparing, I think, is super important for creators. Another thing is starting with what you have and going, I might not have X, but I have this. And I might not have this expensive camera and I might not have this big social following. But I do have X. And if you can identify what's in front of you and start really figuring that out and become a master of that, you're only going to scale up. And we do ourselves a disservice when we want to fast track ourselves or shortcut ourselves into our future. And as creators, your journey is your journey. And so you talked about the things, the cringe things. It's like if you were to ask me if I were to do it all again, I'd probably do it all the same because everything good, bad has taught me something. And I can't remove those hard lessons. The moment I remove those hard lessons, I don't become who I'm supposed to be. And so I think as creators, my advice would be stay focused on your journey. Do something really, really well. Don't compare yourself and just start with it. You haven't become a master of that. And so, yeah.
2: That's a great answer. And I think it's so practical. Like I know there must be people listening that want to get into photography or videography and maybe don't have the camera that they want, but there's so much you can do with what you have. And maybe it's just an iPhone. There's so much you can do with just that. And I think that's such good advice. But we're coming to the end of our interview here. And I just want to switch gears a little bit. I wanted to ask you about the impact that COVID has had on your work. You used to do a significant amount of traveling and working with big travel brands. How have you changed your content? And approach to working with brands now that travel isn't really part of our life for the foreseeable future.
0: Yeah, it all changed so quickly. And so, a couple of things for me is you know, Socality, which is a creative community, is my personal account. Scott C. Back in which is heavily, predominantly travel. I was on a plane all the time, and so a lot of travel, a lot of social influence, working with destinations, marketing, you know, showcasing products, and all that. And COVID hit and, you know, on Socality front, we're doing live experiences and events. Well, that went to the side. But the good thing is we already had a community. So we were able to take all our workshops and experiences online. So that was a saving grace there. For me personally, I had uh, two or three contracts that were long term. And I was able, because I live in a beautiful place and I have Banff and Lake Louise as my backyard, I was able to keep going out and taking photos and creating within that. So the travel stopped. And then there were friends in my industry that that's all they did was travel. And they literally have had to change careers and figure something out. The good thing for me is I had Socality was already, you know, monetized and was bringing in some revenue. And then my personal thing, I only needed a few extra things and I already had that but if i wouldn't have had socality i would have really been in a pickle <laughs> and so cuz i have a family i've got kids i've got you know like every family you've got your day-to-day responsibilities and then you've got your you know your mortgage and your house and your bills and so um you've got your you know, expectations to meet and so covid changed things immensely for me but i was able to through socality through our online workshops, we were able to actually thrive. We were actually able to get better. We were actually able to reach more people and actually scale our organization. For me personally, I've been able to sit back and go, okay, I have a little bit more time at home. I have a little bit more time to figure out some other personal goals, maybe with YouTube or podcast or whatever it is. For me personally, of how I want to extend my voice and my content. So it's given me time to figure things out and to try some new things. And so... I say COVID's no gift to anybody at all but there have definitely been things within this season that have allowed us to explore outside the box so it's been a challenging but rewarding season.
1: We love hearing those stories. Mm. I agree though. It's been difficult for mm-hmm. a lot of people but the case studies of people who are making the most of it or even succeeding in the midst of it is really exciting. And on that note, a question we like to ask all of our guests what are some brands or creators that you're following right now that you say are making waves on social media?
0: Yeah. Oh, wow. Brands, who creators. Well, I definitely really like TikTok. I've been watching a lot of TikTok. <laughs> one because it's so funny. People always say, What are you watching on Netflix? And I'm like, What do you mean? Because I just watch TikTok. <laughs> like I literally I get like a hundred episodes of something in like 15 seconds, right? So it's like, why well, watch one show when I can watch a hundred? So what I get the most out of is the creativity of people like just how did you come up with that idea or how did you do something so funny you know how did you like right now this big thing right now is going around this feta pasta have you seen this so this viral pasta everyone's making this feta bake or whatever now there's places literally sold out of feta cheese because everyone's doing this viral trend where they're making pasta so my answer to you isn't necessarily a creator but just the platform of TikTok. i love seeing how people are being so creative and almost like they're presenting little hacks or inspiring people how to cook or try new things or create different things and just bringing humor in this COVID world. So I really just enjoy TikTok. It's a big stress reliever for me. So I like it. So I'd really think that that is a great platform for people at Clubhouse. Obviously, I love the conversations that are going on. And then brands. Yeah, I don't know. I just any brand that's willing to invest into the community and to see people succeed. I really like that. So um, there's just too many to name, to be honest. But I would say I just really am liking how people are getting creative and using these platforms to do that. So it's great.
2: I'm with you. I love watching TikToks.
0: Right? Have you seen the feta pasta yet? Yes. Okay. You know it. Have you made it?
2: Oh my gosh. No. I hate feta for one. Oh, you hate it? Yeah. It's just not my thing. But isn't it just like a hunk of cheese with a little bit of pasta?
0: What you do is... <laughs> okay so you can replace the feta because i saw another tiktok where he said if you don't like feta but you put the feta in with it with the tomatoes and the garlic and then you make right. it and we pull it out the cheese is all melted you mix it in and then you start to add like the whatever so it's not rocket scientist but what i like about it is it's it once again is engaging because then people go well i can do that then they do it they make their video and everyone's like oh you added that kind of cheese and so it's kind of just like one, it's participatory. It brings people in, engages people, and it lets people feel like they're part of something, right? So I kind of like, that's what I like about it. It's not so much consuming, but you you go, okay, I can participate in this. Like I can make a feta pasta. Anyway. TikTok's so good, but I'm definitely one of those people that more so just watches
1: things. Do you? Just, yeah, I created one. I was a one-hit wonder. Did it do well? It was okay for not having any followers. Like, <laughs> It does that to you. To get yeah, it did. But I think I have like 600 views or something, you know, that's... Right? And wanted you to keep going, but you gave
0: up. I know. I did that Drake flipped a switch one. Oh, yes, 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 yes. See, it's all about the trend. It's all about the trend. But yeah, that's fun.
2: Cool. Well, apart from watching TikToks, can you tell your listeners what you're currently working on and where they can connect with you?
0: Yeah. So, well, we've got a new thing we just launched called the Socality Show. It's every second Wednesday. It's live. People can go to our website and sign up for that. And it's just a fun hour of like infotainment is we're going to interview really cool guests and hear different stories from artists, creators, entrepreneurs, CEOs, authors, and just gives voice to all the people in our community and people outside of our community to come in and pour their wisdom into us. So it's a great hour. So if you want to join that you can go to our website and sign up for that and join be in the virtual audience and watch every second Wednesday and participate and ask questions to the guests and then it's gonna go over to YouTube. And so people if you miss it, you can watch on YouTube. So we're really working hard on the SoCality show. We're also our partnership with Canon. We're launching a whole bunch of more workshops that will be online and we're working at leveling those up and producing them to be a little bit more evergreen and so we're working on that. And obviously we've just launched our SoCality podcast. And yeah, so that's all that's happening with Socality and a lot more things behind the scenes. And then personally, I'm just looking at what things I can, how I can use my voice on Clubhouse and maybe looking into dabbling in YouTube a bit. But other than that, that's life, you know, just trying to stay warm here in Calgary.
1: Well, Scott, you're always busy making waves and we'll share your handles and all those links in the show notes for listeners. So it's easy to find you. But man, thanks for joining us. It's always a pleasure. And like you said, keep staying warm. Yeah, thanks for having
0: me. I really appreciate being on it.
2: This episode of Wave Social Podcast is powered by Arcade Studios. Show notes for this episode and other episodes can be found at wavesocialpodcast.com. You can also subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. If you've got questions, comments, or suggestions for future shows, hit us up at wavesocial on Instagram. Thanks for joining us.